0: volume two chapter twenty four of a strange world by mary elizabeth Braddon. this librivox recording is in the public domain twenty four a soul as white as heaven two hours later maurice lesold was at the gate of penwyn manor the girl elspeth admitted him she had bound up her coarse black hair which had been rough and wild as a mustang's mane when he last saw her and wore a neat stuff gown and a clean white muslin cap instead of the picturesque half-gipsy costume she had worn on that former occasion this at least was a concession to mrs penwin's tastes and argued that even elspeth's impish nature had been at last brought under madge's softening influence anything amiss with your grandmother asked maurice surprised at not seeing that specimen of the Merrilies tribe yes sir she's very ill what is the matter with her bilious fever answered the girl curtly and maurice passed on he had no leisure now to concern himself about rebecca mason though he had in no wise forgotten those curious facts which made her presence at penwyn manor a mystery there were more dead leaves drifting about than on his last visit and the advance of autumn had made itself obvious in decay which all the industry of gardeners could not conceal the pine groves were strewn with fallen cones the chestnuts were dropping their prickly green balls the chrysanthemums and china asters had a ragged look the glory of the geranium tribe was over and even those combinations of colour which modern gardeners contrive from flowerless plants seemed to lose all glow and brightness under the dull grey sky to maurice's mind knowing that he was a messenger of trouble the manor-house had a gloomy look he asked to see the squire and was ushered at once into the library a room which churchill had built it was lighted from the top by a large ground-glass dome and was lined from floor to ceiling with bookcases of ebonized wood relieved with narrow lines of gold in each of the four angles stood a pedestal of dark green serpentine surmounted by a marble bust dante shakespeare voltaire goethe the four great representatives of european literature a noble room filled with the noblest books such a room as a man having made for himself would love as if it were a sentient thing these books looking down upon him on every side were as the souls of the mighty dead here shut in from the outer world he could never be companionless churchill was seated at a table reading he started up at maurice's entrance and received him courteously cordially even so far as words may express cordiality but with a sudden troubled look which did not escape maurice transient as it was glad to see you here again Clissold but why didn't you go straight to the ladies you'll find them in the hall most of our friends have left us so you'll be quite an acquisition this dull weather you are very good but i regret to say that the business which brings me here to-day denies me the right to approach mrs penwin i come as a harbinger of trouble churchill's face whitened to the lips and his thin nervous hand fastened with a tight grip upon the edge of the table against which he stood as if he could scarcely have held himself erect without that support how frightened he looks thought maurice a man of his type oughtn't to be wanting in moral courage and pray what is the nature of your evil tidings churchill asked recovering self-control his resolute nature speedily asserted itself a faint tinge of colour came back to his sunken cheeks his eyes lost their look of sudden horror and assumed a hard defiant expression this property the penwin estate is very dear to you i think interrogated maurice it is as dear to me as a man's birthright should naturally be to him and it has been the happy home of my married life. This, with a touch of tenderness. In no moment of his existence, however troubled, could he speak of Madge without tenderness. Yet Penwin can be hardly called your birthright, since you inherited by an accident. Said Maurice nervously, anxious to take the edge off his unpleasant communication. What is the drift of these remarks, Mr. Clissold? They seem to me entirely purposeless, and pardon me if I add somewhat impertinent. Mr. Penwin, I am here to inform you that there is a member of your family in existence who possesses a prior claim to this estate. You are dreaming, sir, or you are deceived by some impostor. I and my child are the sole representatives of the Penwin family. There are secrets in every family, Mr. Penwin. There has been a secret in your family, religiously kept for more than twenty years, but lately brought to light, in some part by my agency. What, sir? you have come into this house as a spy while you have been secretly assailing my position as inheritor of my cousin's estate i have not entered your house since i made the discovery i speak of your discovery has come about with marvellous rapidity then for it is not long since you were my guest my discovery has been arrived at quickly pray acquaint me with the nature of this mare's nest i have to inform you that your uncle george penwyn before leaving england for the last time privately married the daughter of his father's tenant michael trevenard of End. churchill penwyn laughed contemptuously i congratulate you upon having hit upon the most improbable story i ever heard of he said my uncle george penwyn married to old trevenard's daughter and nobody upon earth aware of the fact till you a stranger unearthed it a likely story mr Clissold. likely or unlikely it is true and i have sufficient evidence to prove it or i should not have broached the subject to you i have in my possession a certified copy of the entry in the marriage register at st john's church didmouth devonshire and five letters in your uncle's hand acknowledging muriel Trevenard as his wife also a sealed letter from the same committing her to the care of the late mr tomlin solicitor of Seacombe, in the event of her needing that gentleman's protection during her husband's absence nor do i rely upon documentary evidence alone the vicar of didmouth who married your uncle to miss Trevenard, is still alive and the principal witness of the marriage muriel's friend and confidant is ready to support the claim of muriel's daughter should you force her to appeal to the law instead of seeing as i hope you will see the advisability of an equitable compromise miss penwyn has no desire to exact her legal rights she has empowered me to suggest a fair and honourable alternative maurice proceeded to give a brief outline of justina's case and to suggest his own idea of an equitable settlement churchill sat with folded arms and gloomy face bent downward listening this story of maurice Clissold seemed to him so far hardly worth serious thought it was so wildly improbable so like the dream of a fevered brain that any claimant should come forward to dispute his hold of wealth and station yet he told himself that Clissold was no fool and would hardly talk of documentary evidence which he was unprepared to produce on the other hand this Clissold might be a villain and the whole business a conspiracy let me see your copy of the register sir churchill said authoritatively maurice took a paper from his breast pocket and laid it on mr penwin's desk yes it was formal enough george penwin bachelor gentleman of penwin manor to muriel trevenard spinster daughter of michael trevenard farmer of borsalende the witnesses maria barlow spinster schoolmistress of seacombe and james pope clerk didmouth if this were a genuine copy of an existing entry there would be no doubt as to the fact of george penwin's marriage both gentlemen were too much engrossed at this moment churchill pondering the significance of the document in his hand maurice watching his countenance as he meditated to be aware of the opening of a door near the fireplace a door which fitted into the bookcase and was masked with dummy books This door was gently opened. A woman's face looked in for an instant and was quickly withdrawn. But the door, although apparently closed, was not shut again. And you pretend that there was issue to this marriage? said Churchill. The lady whose claim I am here to assert is the daughter of Mr. George Penwyn by that marriage. And pray, where has this young lady been hiding herself all her life? And how is it that she has suffered her rights to be in abeyance all this time? She was brought up in ignorance of her parentage oh i understand cried churchill scornfully some miss jones or smith who has taken into her wise young head inspired doubtless by some astute friend that she may as well prove herself a penwin if she can and you come to me with this liberal offer of a compromise to take half my estate in the most off-hand way upon my word mr Clissold, you and this scheme of yours are a little too absurd i can't even allow myself to be angry with you that would be taking the thing too seriously remember mr penwyn if i leave this house without arriving at some kind of understanding with you i shall place the matter in the hands of my solicitors without delay and the law must take its course however protracted or costly the process by which miss penwyn may obtain her rights i have no doubt as to the ultimate issue she would have been contented with half your fortune the law if it give her anything will give her all so be it i will fight her to the bitter end first and foremost this marriage supposing this document to be genuine bringing down his clenched fist upon the paper and with an evil upward look at maurice is no marriage what do you mean a marriage with a person of unsound mind is no marriage it is void in law there is blackstone to refer to if you doubt me pointing to a set of volumes in dark brown russia now muriel the daughter of michael Trevenard, has been deranged for the last twenty years it is a notorious fact to everybody in the neighbourhood when that marriage took place and for a year after the marriage muriel was as sane as you or i her brain was turned by the shock she experienced upon being informed suddenly of her husband's awful death i can bring forward sufficient witnesses to prove the state of her mind up to that time and again you are to remember that the same authority you have just quoted tells you that no marriage is voidable after the death of either of the contracting parties and you are prepared to prove that this young woman this waif and stray brought up without the knowledge of her name or parentage is the legitimate daughter of my uncle george penwin and muriel his wife go your ways mr Clissold, and make the best use of your evidence documentary or otherwise i will stand by my rights against you and would stand by them against a stronger cause than yours he touched a spring bell which stood on his desk a summons answered with extreme promptitude the door said the squire resuming his book without so much as a parting glance at his visitor maurice was conducted to the porch and left the house without having seen mrs Penwin or her sister he was bitterly disappointed by the result of his morning's work which had proved compromise impossible and left no course open to him save the letter of the law scarcely had the library door closed on maurice Clissold when the other door which had been left ajar during the latter part of the interview was quietly opened and madge penwyn stole to her husband's side knelt down by him and wound her arms round his neck He had been sitting with his face buried in his hands, trying to think out his position. When he found her arms about him, his head drawn gently against her shoulder. "'Dearest, I have heard all,' she said quietly. "'You heard, Madge,' he exclaimed with a startled look. "'Well, my love, it matters very little. It is all the merest folly. There is no possibility of what this man threatens.' "'Churchill—' "'Husband, my beloved,' she began with deepest feeling." you do not mean to oppose this claim to the death what surely you will accept the truth if it is the truth and surrender fortune and estate oh welcome change of fortune love that brings some measure of atonement i have never told you how hateful how horrible all our wealth and luxury has been to me since i have known hush madge you know so much that you should know enough to be wise do you think i am going to surrender these things do you think i am the kind of man to sit down tamely and let a rogue hatch a conspiracy to rob me of wealth and status they have cost me too dear they have cost you so dear that you can never have joy or peace with them churchill god shows us this way of getting rid of our burden if you have any hope of mercy any desire to be forgiven resign this fortune it is the price of iniquity you can know no true repentance while you retain it if i had seen any way of our surrendering this estate before now without exciting suspicion of the dreadful truth i should have urged the sacrifice upon you i urge it now with all the strength of my love it is useless madge i could not go back to poverty laborious days and nights the struggle for daily bread i could not lead that kind of life again not with me churchill we could go away to the other end of the world to australia where life is simpler and easier than in england we could know peace again for you might dare to hope if your sacrifice were freely made that god had accepted it as an atonement can i atone to the dead will james penwin in his untimely grave be any better off because some impostor riots in the wealth that ought to have been his a left-handed atonement that but if you find that this girl is no impostor the lawyers will have to decide that If she can establish her right, you and I and our boy will have to say goodbye to Penwyn. Happy loss if it lightened the burden of your sin. Do you think that I shall be sorry to leave this place, Churchill? I have never known peace here since. She threw herself upon his breast with a shuddering sigh. Madge, my dearest, my angel of love and compassion, be content to abide the issue of events. Leave all to me. No, Churchill she answered raising her head and looking at him with grave and earnest eyes i am not content you know that since that bitter day i have left you in peace i have not wearied you with my tears i have suffered in secret and have made it the chief duty of my life to lighten your burden so far as in me lay but i can be content no longer the wealth that has weighed upon my soul can now be given up with honour the world can find no subject for slander in your quiet surrender of an estate for which a new claimant has arisen and we can begin life afresh together love your soul purified by sacrifice your conscience lightened your peace made with god we can begin life anew in some distant land humbly toilfully so far away from all past cares that your wrong-doing may seem no more than the memory of an evil dream and all the future open for manifold good deeds that shall weigh against that one dreadful sin she seemed like an angel pleading with him for the salvation of his soul yet he resisted her it is useless madge you do not know what you are talking about i could not live a life of obscurity it would be moral suicide will you choose between me and fortune churchill what do you mean that unless you give up this estate you must give up me i will live here no longer share your ill-gotten wealth no longer think of your boy i do think of him god forbid that my son should ever inherit there is the curse of blood upon every root of land let it pass into other hands guiltless hands give me time to think madge you bewilder me by this sudden attack think as long as you like dearest only decide rightly at last and with one long kiss upon his pale forehead she left him once alone he set himself to think out his position to face this new aspect of things could this alleged heiress impostor or not rob him of his estate was it possible for george penwyn's marriage and the identity of george penwyn's child to be proved in a court of law proved so indisputably as to dislodge him from his position as possessor of the estate no he told himself The strength will be all on my side the law does not encourage claimants of this stamp if it did no man's estate would be secure no real property would be worth ten years purchase he had taken a high tone with maurice Clissold, had affected to regard the whole matter as an absurdity but now face to face with the facts that had been put before him he felt that the question was serious and that he could not be too prompt in action he looked at a railway time-table and found that he would have just enough time to catch the next up train from Seacombe, a slowish train not reaching london till late in the evening i will go up to town and see pergament he said to himself as he touched the bell tell them to bring round the dog-cart at once i shall want hunter any particular horse sir yes wallace wallace was the fastest horse in the stable always excepting the squire's favourite tarpan which had never been degraded by harness while the dog-cart was being got ready churchill wrote to his wife my dearest i am going to london to inquire into this business be calm be brave as befits my noble wife your own till death c p this brief note addressed and sealed the squire went upstairs to his dressing-room crammed a few things into his travelling-bag and went down to the porch with a bag in his hand just as the dog-cart drove up wallace a big deep-chested bay in admirable condition fresh and eager for the start the groom breathless having dressed himself against time churchill took the reins and the light vehicle was soon spinning along that well-made road with which the squire of Penwyn had improved his property less than an hour and mr penwin was seated in a railway carriage on his way to london he was at mr pergament's office early next morning indeed more than half an hour before the arrival of that gentleman who came in at 10 o'clock fresh and sleek of aspect with a late tea rosebud in the buttonhole of his glossy blue coat great was the solicitor's astonishment at beholding churchill my dear mr penwin this is a surprise one does not expect to see a man of your standing in town in the dead season indeed even i a humble working bee in the great hive have been thinking of getting as far as aix les bains or spa but you are not looking well you look careworn fagged. i have reason to look so answered churchill and then explained the motive of his journey he told mr pergament all that klisselt had told him without reserve with a wonderful precision and clearness the lawyer listened intently and with gravest concern but before he said a word in reply mr pergament unlocked a tin case inscribed "Penwin," took out a document and read it from the first line to the last what is that asked churchill a copy of your grandfather's will i want to be quite sure how you stand as regards this claimant well i am sorry to say that the will is dead against you if this person can be proved to be the daughter of george penwin she would take the estate under your grandfather's will there is no doubt of that but how is she to prove her identity with a child said to be born at borcelain and whose birth was made a secret difficult perhaps but if she has been in the charge of the same people all her life and those people are credible witnesses credible witnesses cried churchill contemptuously the man who has brought up this girl belongs to the dregs of society and if by a little hard swearing he can foist this stray adoption of his upon society as the rightful owner of the penwin estate do you suppose he will shrink from a little more or less perjury credible witnesses no man's property in the land is secure if claimants such as this can arise to push us from our stools this mr Clissold is a gentleman and a man of good family is he not he belongs to decent people i believe but that is no reason why he should not be an adventurer there are plenty of well-born adventurers in the world no doubt no doubt replied mr pergament blandly in his private capacity as a christian and a gentleman he was benevolently sympathetic but the idea of a contested estate was not altogether unpleasing to his professional mind who are mr Clissold's lawyers messrs wilgrose and harding a highly respectable firm old established in every way reputable i do not think they would take up a speculative case i do not feel sure that they will take up this case though mr clessold appeared to think so answered churchill however your business is to be prepared remember i shall fight this to the bitter end let them prove the marriage if they can it will be for our side to deny that there was ever any issue of that marriage hum mused the lawyer there assuredly lies the weakness of their case child's birth not registered child brought up by strolling player yes we will fight mr penwin pray keep your mind easy i will get counsel's opinion without delay if you desire it and i suppose in a case so nearly affecting your interests you would prefer an unprejudiced opinion to being your own adviser the best men shall be secured for our side which do you call the best men Mr pergament named three of the most illustrious lights of the equity bar very good men in their way no doubt said churchill but i would rather have shinebar chandrish and uh, say mcstinger mr pergament looked horrified my dear sir clever men but unscrupulous notoriously unscrupulous my dear pergament when a gang of swindlers hatch a conspiracy to deprive me of house and home, I don't want my rights defended by scrupulous men. But really, Chandrish, a man I never gave a brief to in my life, remonstrated the solicitor. What does that signify? It is my battle we have to fight, and you must let me choose my weapons. End of chapter twenty four.